0: yeah thank you yeah maybe then you turn it off again at the end thank you yeah thank you (coughs) so this morning I wanted to speak about the, what's called the five hindrances, and I'm sure you know all of you have experienced them on a daily basis since you have come into this world. But you know, to have an understanding about that process can really help to use those um, so-called hindrances as opportunities for waking up. The word hinder, called hindrances, because you know, according to the Buddha's teaching, they're hindering the mind from proper functioning. And what that means is, you know, that we don't know what is good for ourselves and what is good for others if we are under the influence, unconsciously under the influence of those hindrances. But as soon as we are noticing it, then we are no longer identified, and we we kind of step back. And then we can use those very hindrances as actually food for practice. They can become meditation objects. And any moment, you know, when we are stepping out and using them for practice, then, you know, that what has previously been unwholesome influence onto the mind becomes really... Uh, soil for wisdom and compassion to grow, and that's what's so wonderful you know, about this teaching. Because nothing whatsoever, you know, can't be used for practice. Everything, even the hindrances, you know, even very strong hindrances, as soon as we are noticing it, you know, we are noticing we'd like to smash the window, or we are noticing it like to kind of jump onto somebody and beat them up or whatever it is, you know, it can be used for practice. And I think that's a very comforting uh, truth, really. Because we tend to either, you know, suppress those um, feelings, you know, and those thoughts because we feel, you know, feel ashamed or we feel we are not good practitioners or there's something wrong with us. Or worse than that is, you know, we get carried away and then really act on it because we don't have the resilience, you know, to hold the energy. And in one way, you know, practice is all about being able to contain the energy in a spacious way so that it reveals its information to us without us, you know, getting kind of hijacked by it and, you know, going to reaction. So it's, it's you know... Cultivating the capacity to respond rather than to react. You know, reacting meaning, you know, wanting to get rid of the unpleasant feeling of a very strong energy, you know, cursing through the system. And just letting it out, you know, through the mouth by saying something, letting it out through the body by doing something. And so on and so forth. I'm sure you have all noticed that, you know. It's just simply because we, can't, we feel we can't hold that amount of energy. We need to kind of spit it out in some way. And, you know, and throw it onto somebody else, basically, because we don't want to have this unpleasant feeling. We'd rather, you know, if we're not awake. And I'm not saying this, you know, this is human and... Um, I do it myself too, still. But then, at least, you know, when I notice it afterwards, then I can I can learn from it. And sometimes it's requires to, you know, go and apologize and make up for it, you know, in some way or another. And it's good to remember that because sometimes it's just like not worth it, really, because all of the um, difficulties, you know, which which come from it. It's there, maybe much more unpleasant, but than just being with a feeling, you know, for a few minutes, and then it's going to change anyway. It's just good to experience that in a formal setting first, very clearly, and then remember, you know, when the going gets tough in daily life, where, where the real proof lies for the practice. So I've put a poster up in the foyer about those five hindrances. And uh, it's a very beautiful um, sutta in the teachings where the Buddha compares, you know, the five hindrances with uh, water. And, you know, in the olden times, people didn't have mirrors. They had either polished bits of metal, you know, if they had a certain amount of wealth, or if they didn't have that, they used a bowl of water, in order you know, to see the reflection of their face, to just see maybe if the, you know, the headdress was on in the right way, or whatever they were wanting to see. And the Buddha compared you know, the five hindrances to different uh, influences the water in that bowl would be under, and therefore it would not be able to reflect the face of the person in a realistic way. For example you know the first hindrance is uh, sensual desire and it's compared you know with a bowl of water which is colored with different dyes and you know if you look into the bowl and there's red dye in the in the water you don't see your face as it really is you see a colored face so that's the first one sensual desire the second one is ill will, and that's compared you know, with a bowl of water which is standing over fire, and the water has started to bubble and boil, and you know, maybe some um, f- f- uh, steam is coming off the water. Then if you want to look into that water, you can't see your reflection because of that. And the, the third one is uh, sloth and topwa. That's compared with a bowl of water which is overgrown with algae and water plants. And, you know, you can't really see the reflection of your face either. And then the fourth one is uh, doubt. And that's compared with a bowl of water which has mud in it and which is in a dark place. Can't reflect. Again, can't reflect the features of the face. And the fifth one is restlessness, and that's compared with a bowl of water where the wind, you know, goes over the surface of the water and the water has little waves on the top and can't reflect the face. And then there is, lo and behold, the sixth bowl of water where the water is just clear and out in the bright sun. And if you look into it, you can really see what's happening just right now. That's, you know, the mind which is free from any of the five hindrances and as we were saying yesterday also you know that's a taste of nibbana that's a taste of a mind you know which is free which is unconditioned just for a moment you know for a split second and you know the full attainment you can say or the full realization of that would be full enlightenment but we can have a taste of it any moment you know when our mind is not under the influence of any of those five hindrances, we have a taste of it. And through the practice, we just want to prolong these moments of tasting it. And just right now, you know, if you are just being still, not thinking about anything, just for a moment, we can taste it, the easiness of everything, the way it is without a story on top of it. And it, it's like kind of, if we are not made aware of it, it's like nothing, and you know, it just passes us by. It's nothing special. Because it indeed is not anything special. Because it's our birthright, you know, it's always already here. We just don't notice it. Because we are so identified and caught up in the sinking mind. Because we haven't been taught, you know, that, that ever. Because it's, you know, it's not something which can be, you know, embellished very much or, you know, which can be sold for anything. Because it's, it's, uh, you can only individually realize it by the wise. And, you know, you already have it, you're just not aware of it. And it's the, you know, it's the... um, It's self-secret, you could say. You know, it's hidden. But as soon as you know, as you hear of it and you have a taste of it, you you just kind of, you know, it starts to reveal itself like a flower. You know, would blossom if you put the right conditions for that flower. You don't have to pull on the petals. You just put in the right conditions, and it will. Come forth, you know, because this is the laws of nature. We don't have to push or pull at those. We we just have to know them and then, you know, live accordingly, and it will all come forth. And this is, you know, what the teachings of the Buddha are it's just like a set of um, guidelines, you know, so that we can let that come forth, which is already in our hearts. And in the hearts of all beings, you know, not only human beings, but all beings, you know, which are on the path, they all have that same potential. And they are like a different, you could say, you know, different stages of the realization of the potential. But nevertheless, you know, all on the same path, all going in the same direction, all wanting, you know, wanting happiness and do not want suffering. And, you know, the uninstructed worldling, as it says in the suttas, you know, often barks up the wrong tree, you know, because it's not at a certain stage in the practice. If we haven't tasted that unconditioned, you know, that taste of freedom, then we tend to seek that feeling, you know, in different other areas such as, you know, Drugs and drinks and shopping and sex and food and you know there's many many things which give us a hit of pleasant feeling, but then you know it you need more and more and more and then suddenly you know you ended up in a addicted kind of a pattern and then there's a lot of suffering. But what we're all looking for is for this release, you know, of for this peace, for this release of this stopping of running after something. Something in which is also called in the suttas thirst. You know, like somebody drinking salt water and still being thirsty and drinking more and more and still kind of burning and burning and just doesn't understand. You know, why is it not giving release? Because you know the sensual world can't give release. Only temporary, very short. And then, you know, the hunger comes back even with more momentum. So the only, you know, kind of um, long-term solution for this thirst is a taste of this unconditioned taste of Nibbana. And, you know, here and now you can taste that today. And you're probably tasting it many times a day, but you're just not aware of it. And this is the only thing, you know, we have to basically change through the practice to be present enough so we can notice it. And also to be present enough if we are not in that space and then kind of notice it and use that as a meditation object, you know. For example, maybe there is now, you know, lust cursing through your mind or ill will and just noticing, okay, this is what's present, what is underneath Probably there is either bored, one of the hindrances will be there, you know. And underneath there will be boredom or fear or something like that, you know, and just noticing it. This is enough. There's nothing you have to particularly do about it, but just being aware of it. And sometimes, you know, when the hindrances are really very powerful, then sometimes it's, it's, it's conducive, you know, to use what's called an antidote, But, you know, in in terms of maturing in the practice, to really be able to be with it without an antidote is a a higher practice than having to use an antidote. But sometimes, you know, if we are in the midst of some very difficult social situation, you know, where a lot of ill will come up, it might be a good idea, you know, to just reflect on metta, for example. And... uh, You know, whenever we can recognize that a hindrance is present, in the scriptures it's also called like Mara, the tempter, you know, kind of pulling in the mind. And as soon as Mara is recognized, Mara disappears, kind of shrivels shrivels away because it has lost its power, because it has been seen for what it is, just a thought, nothing big, really, but if we turn away from it, you know, then that if you don't look it in the eye, so to say, it, it's much, it seems to be much bigger than what it is. So therefore, it's really important to just remember to turn towards it and open to it. Because if we meet it, you know, with resistance, we are, we are making it stronger. So this mindful recognition, you know, is really central to the practice. It's, it's not like rocket science, really. But what is difficult about this is to remember. To remember it. And the word mindfulness, sati, you know, means to remember, really. Simply to Remember. And then there's another sutta, you know, which is mentions if we have managed, you know, to wake up to the hindrances present in our mind, then the Buddha gave us some similes, you know, how that would feel. For example, you know, have, having been able to recognize that desire is present is like being free of debt. And then having been able to wake up that to aversion in the mind, to ill will in the mind, is like being free from a disease. And absence of sloth and topa is like being released from prison. And absence of restlessness is being released from slavery, being released from bondage. And absence of doubt is, you know, returning home, after a dangerous journey through the desert, you know, where I don't know where to get food and drink. So that's some very tangible examples, you know, how, how that could feel, you know, when we consciously stay with a hindrance and then it kind of abates. So freedom from death, freedom from disease being released from prison, being free of slavery or bondage, and returning from a dangerous journey. So, you know, it's very useful to really take it in deeply that the hindrances are not our enemies, you know. It just really depends how we relate The whole practice is about, you know, developing a skillful way of relating to the human condition and using it as an opportunity to learn about the human condition because we are all human beings and this is just the way it is. You know, we have a body and we have a mind. We have a lot of evolutionary luggage, you know, which has been coming in really handy to actually have these, you know, human beings really be able to live here, you know, and become a lot of people, I Meanwhile, well, maybe too many. But now, you know, because we are so many people, we have to learn to harness those evolutionary equipments, you know, such as the instincts and, and greed and hatred and all of those um, forms of having information about the situation. You know, it has been very important in the past, you know, to have these instincts in order to be able to survive. But we have to learn, you know, to use the information which is in it and not get completely propelled by it into situations, you know, which are harmful for ourselves and for other people and other beings. So, you know, to really use the information but not become it. Use it as a motivation, you know, to act in some way or another. And sometimes acting means not doing anything. But not being carried away by it and just blinded by it, kind of going under. It, and it's again, it's the middle way, you know, be, between suppression and indulgence. The Buddhist teaching, you know, is always coming back to that Balance. And in order to be able, you know, to be in balance, we have to really have the courage to fully uh, take in, you know, the strength of these emotions. You know how how powerful they can become, and and not kind of shrink away f- from it, but really open ourselves to it. It's like going to the gym, you know, and and using ever heavier weights, you know, to, to train our muscles. We are training our spiritual muscles, you know, of being able to have the resilience to... open to it. And then learning from it. And then, you know, being able to take on more and more difficult situations without... getting sucked into it, you know, and and becoming unconscious. So that's really, you know, what we are up to in this practice, you know, to cultivate this capacity. And that's, you know, the Noble Eightfold Path is, is basically a program, you know, to cultivate the mind and make it stronger and stronger so it can take in the way things are, So I just wanted to give a little encouragement. And uh, now we have another uh, 20 minutes to sit. Thank you for listening.